Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Pastor James Biddle and Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. Father, thank you for this time to bring your word. We pray our hearts be softened and opened. And I just confess, Jeremiah 1.12, that you're watching over your word to perform it. Thank you that uh, Philippians chapter 1, He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Lord, you began a good work in every heart in this room. And I thank you that you are so faithful to complete it. And we give you all the thanks and glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Last week we had the honor of having a guest speaker and, and Pastor Johnny Chase shared a tremendous message and you all were so generous. You were, what a blessing to him. And thank you for blessing the Argentina trip. What an honor to do that. And I'm looking forward to emailing out updates and very excited about what God is going to do. Thank you for investing in that. We began a series a few weeks ago on devoted prayer and we want to kind of pick back up on this. We kind of want to stir this around a little bit. How many of you would admit over the last few weeks as we've been in this series, the Lord has sharpened your awareness, given you more of a heart, more of a passion for devoted prayer. Would anybody be honest to say that? Man, I sure have. Uh, it has really sparked something in me. And thank God that it, when God stamps something on your heart, it's not a fad. It's not something that just goes away. It's not, well, you know, once a year we need to preach on prayer, and once a year we need to have a prayer meeting. And the Lord has really birthed something in my heart. And, and I feel obligated to follow that, or I feel like I will be in disobedience to what the Lord has revelated and revealed to me. So I fixed it, Susan. Did you like that? I knew you would. So I, I feel obligated to correct in my heart what the Lord has revealed in me. Otherwise, I, I will be accountable. I'll stand before God and He'll say, why didn't you lead my people in what I put in your heart? So I'm going after what the Lord has put. And it's devoted prayer because prayer changes everything, including me. Prayer changes everything, including me. So just out of a way of introduction, I just want to look at a few scriptures to kind of set the table. Many of you were not here over the last number of weeks. So let's look at our very first scripture in Acts chapter 1 and verse 13. Today is more of a, a teaching. I don't know, I might get a little preachy, uh, but we're going to just teach you today and lay out God's word, and hopefully it will inspire you and, and help you in a lot of areas. It says they were all in one mind, and they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Now, Acts chapter 1, we, we see Jesus has risen from the dead. He's ascended back to heaven. God has taken him back up, and he left the disciples. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. So now they're gathered in the upper room. How many of you have heard about the upper room? There was 120 men and women. They were praying, and it says they devoted themselves to prayer. It talks about the women and Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, and so forth. They were all there. And so the church was birthed out of a prayer meeting. I want to get that in your mind. I want you to think about that. The very beginning of the church, Jesus didn't say, go over here and just feed the hungry until I come back. I mean, no, we ought to feed the poor. We ought to feed the hungry. But Jesus said, go and wait and pray. Seek my, my face until the promise of the Father comes. The church started as a prayer meeting. So now the church begins to take shape and form, and thousands are being added daily. I'm so thankful for our church that people are coming, new people are coming, that we're a church that is growing. I know a lot of churches are declining, and a lot of churches are closing. Thank God we're only going up. Can I have an amen? We're going to continue to pray and seek God and reach new people. So as the church begins to take form, look at Acts chapter 2. Now they realize, well, we can't just sit around and pray all day. We actually have to do something else, get out among the people. You know, Jesus would go to the mountain and pray, and then he would come down to the people. So now the church says, well, we've got to do some other things. And it says, so they continued to devote themselves to teaching 
to fellowship. How many of you thank God for fellowship? To breaking of bread. How many of you thank God for breaking of bread? And then it says to prayer. So what I want you to notice here is as the church began to add programs and processes, they added, but they did not subtract prayer. They kept prayer as a focal point. Yes, add programs. Yes, add house to house. Yes, add life groups. Yes, add Bible studies. Yes, add fellowship dinners. But do not subtract prayer out of the mix. The danger for most churches and most leaders is the more we add, the less we pray. The more programs we do, the less we pray. And then the last scripture that I want you to see is Mark chapter 11. And Jesus himself said this, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And about a month ago, the Lord began to convict me in my heart that if I were to write down three or four things that I was devoted to as a man, it would be my family, be my employment, would be you as a church, would be worship, I'd be devoted to missions. Let me know those are all good things and we need to be devoted to all those things. But I was convicted, Pastor Michael, because prayer wasn't on the list of something that I immediately thought of. If you said, what is this person devoted to? What is this church devoted to? Prayer was not one of the first two or three things that came to mind. And the Lord began to stir in me that that is, that is where He wants to take me as a person. That's where He wants to take us as a church. Yes, we're known for supporting 29 missionaries. Thank God for that. Yes, we're known for benevolence. And yes, we're known for great, great preaching. Can I have an amen? I'm talking about when Pastor Rick and Pastor Michael are preaching. I mean, you know, you understand. Yes, we're known for great compassion. Yes, we're known for great... But, but more than anything, ladies and gentlemen, I want to be known in the community as a church that prays, that prays and sees the Lord do things in our community. And so we began to give you... I'm just going to read them really, really quick. We gave you eight things that help, help us decide that we should pray. We gave you eight radical rewards of prayer there is a reward to pray if you look in Matthew chapter 6 it says when you pray when you give and when you fast every time your father rewards when you give when you pray when you fast Matthew 6 your father rewards so take it take a look here at number one prayer is the way we draw near to the Lord number two prayer helps us cast our cares and our burdens on the Lord Number three, prayer helps to eliminate worry and hurry out of our life. And we challenged you to set aside 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes of devoted time. Not where you're just driving and praying. Not where you're just randomly praying. Please do that. Please pray. Just don't drive and pray with your eyes closed. Can I have an amen? The Bible says we walk by faith, but it does not say we drive by faith, ladies and gentlemen. So please, pray with your eyes open. But praying on the go is fine. But we're challenging you to put it in the calendar every day if possible, at least a few times a week where you have an appointment with God. If you know that you have nothing else to do for 30 minutes but pray, it's going to eliminate hurry out of your life because you're not going to be trying to get to the next thing. Number four... Prayer helps guard our hearts. And the way I saw it in my heart was prayer builds a fence around our heart. Prayer puts boundaries, sets up a guard around our heart. Number five, we have the promise that God hears us from heaven. We're not praying to the empty ceiling. We're not praying to a deity that doesn't care for us. We have a promise when we pray, God hears us. It's a powerful truth. Number six, Prayer helps us tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. There is life-giving, resurrection power on the inside of you as a believer, and prayer helps you tap into that. 
Number seven, I got one person that likes it. Number seven, <laughs> prayer helps us fight and resist temptation. Nobody likes that one. I didn't get any amens. Can I have an amen, Joseph? Amen. You know, it said that the praying man will stop sinning and the sinning man will stop praying. When you get out of fellowship with the Lord, what's the first thing that you get away with? Carrie, do you want to preach today? No. When, you, when you begin to walk away from the Lord, what's the first thing that suffers? Can we be honest? Two things, prayer and your church attendance. Do you know why if you miss church two or three weeks, we're going to call you and follow up with you? It's not just because we need everybody in the seat that can be here. It's because we honestly know and we understand that if you get out, the first thing that goes when your relationship with God is in trouble, the first thing that goes is your church attendance. And I believe it. I, I believe it with all my heart. So prayer helps us fight and resist temptation. Number eight, the eighth reward of prayer, the reason God put this reward system in place, because He takes delight in our Prayers. Revelation 5 says, There are bowls in heaven which are the prayers of the saints. You may feel like your prayers are forgotten. You may feel like your prayers are not heard. But God stores them in heaven and we thank the Lord for that. So what I want to begin today is a journey where we travel through what is called the Lord's Prayer. And I want us to actually read it together. And it's going to be in the, in the King James Version because that's the way a lot of modern King James Version because that's the way so many of you have memorized it. How many of you grew up in a church where they would recite the Lord's Prayer uh, almost every day? Yeah. And so, you know, there, there is an element of that that can become ritual and just routine and empty. But there's something, there's a real model here that Jesus gave us. How many of you have ever said, man, I wish the Bible would just tell me how to pray? I wish there was something in the Bible that would just help me figure out how to pray. I go to pray for 15 minutes and I can only say, God bless you so many times. And God is up in heaven saying, I didn't sneeze. And, and come on, that was good. That's, that's as good as it's going to get, so you might as well laugh. But you can only say, oh, God bless you so many times. And, and you're, 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 I wish there was something in the Bible that could teach me how to pray. The disciples had the same problem. They said, Jesus, we want to pray like you. Teach us to pray. And the disciples listened, and Jesus gave them a model. He gave them a template. He gave them not just a formula, but he gave them, he said, when you pray, pray like this. And it doesn't mean to just pray that prayer as an empty something that you just recite, but it's okay to recite it. He wasn't talking about just pray this prayer exactly. He's giving them a model that we can pull over into our world today in prayer. I prayed over this session, Meshach, and I prayed that the Lord would give you a living prayer life. That's my prayer, that your prayer life would be a living, vibrant Breathing full of life. That's what your prayer life would be. And this is going to help you see prayer in a new in a new way. So let's just read it together. Matthew 6, verse 9. We'll start in, with our Father. And Jared, just track with us as we read it. And we'll read it together. Ready? Let's all read it. Just loud enough where the person beside you thinks you're being too loud. Okay? All right? So let's put a little uh, oomph behind this. Ready? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Come on, give yourself a hand. Amen. We're like, wait for it. 
Wait for it. Thank you, Jared. Appreciate that. I mean, no, computers don't always flow in the spirit. Can I have that? Amen. But today, what I want to focus on really is just one phrase. I just want to pull one phrase out of this, and it is, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I began to think through this. Why would Jesus start with our Father in heaven and, and the hallowed be your name? And I began to look and pray and seek the Lord and study. And, and I think the Lord has given me some, some things here that will help you. Number one, it is our approach to prayer. It is our approach to prayer. How many of you maybe would be honest and say that growing up in maybe your church or in your fellowship or your family, you felt like prayer was something that, that you had to do? It was kind of, a, kind of something you were forced into do. Or, or how many of you felt like prayer wasn't really emphasized and it's something that you didn't have to do, didn't really think about it? You pray grace over our food, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, Lord bless this grub. And how many know there's more ways to pray effectively? And so wherever you came, you know, from prayer, number one, prayer helps us approach God correctly. You know, how we view prayer, our approach to prayer, will determine how often we pray. Jared, I think you'll see number one on there is, is our approach to prayer. It's uh, Nope, I'm sorry, that's not it. Uh, maybe you can find it. Hopefully you're on the right screen. But number one is our approach to prayer, and this is what it determines. It, when we pray, it's a place of joy, and it's a place of love, and it's a place of grace. I mean, no, you will not return over and over and over again to a place of abuse, to a place of depression, to repeated neglect and disappointment, you have something on the inside of you that is wired for you to return to a place of joy. That's why year after year after year, people go on vacations, and they go to the beach, and they'll go to Disneyland. And honestly, in, in a negative sense, that's why it's so easy for people to get hooked on drugs is because it takes them to a place of high, and your body, your mind, your soul is designed to return to a place of joy. And so how we view prayer will affect our approach to prayer. Now, Susan is a pilot, and BJ has flown. He's got his pilot license. Josh is a pilot. He's probably flying today. And they will tell you that the way that you approach the runway as you are landing will determine a safe landing or a crash. It's all about the approach and so the reason Jesus started out, I believe, yes, thank you, Jared, thank you so much. The reason Jesus, I believe, started out with our Father is because He wants to approach prayer appropriately. And so this will also affect how we receive from God. If we feel like God is out to get us, if we feel like God is holding our sins against us, if we feel like God is stingy and He's just withholding blessings in His hand, and if we can just pray enough, He might open His stingy hand and release a little blessing to us. This is going to affect how we receive from God. So Jesus started out saying, Our Father. It affects how often we pray. Because if it's a place of joy, we will be naturally drawn to return to a place of joy. And it affects how we receive from God. And this is what I put in my notes. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. You won't see this on the screen, but this is so important. We should approach prayer. This is huge. We should approach prayer from a position of inheritance. I want to teach you something that I have not seen in this teaching. There's thousands of teachings on the Lord's Prayer. I'm sure somebody has taught on this, but I have not seen this in this light. We should approach prayer from the position of an inheritance. Now let's talk about an inheritance for just a moment. How many of you have ever received an inheritance in the house? Amen. What is an inheritance? Someone you love close to you. Someone dies. 
and they give you what they had, they give you their estate, they give you their property. And so did you, did you work really hard for that inheritance? Did you put the blood, sweat, and tears and all the years in the factory to, to work and pay for the house that you got? No, you just received. You were just in the right place at the right time. And if, and matter of fact, if we go a step further, someone actually had to die for you to get an inheritance. You don't get life insurance policies for the living. But when you die, you pass on an inheritance. Can I tell you today that Jesus Christ died for us so that we could have the inheritance of God? Approach prayer from the position of an inheritance. You didn't have to work for it. All you had to do was get in line, be in the right place at the right time. All you had to do was receive the inheritance. You didn't work for it. It wasn't your blood, sweat, and tears. It was a free gift. So approach prayer from the position of inheritance. He said, our father. Somebody say, our father. He said, our father. Now this reminds me of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10. I want you to see it on the screen. It boldly declares this. Uh, actually, Ephesians 3. We'll go back, Jared. I got ahead. I'm sorry. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. How many know when, when this little thing, when you touch it, it moves? And I got ahead. I was on the wrong screen. Jared's like, that's not next. What are you doing? Thank you, sir. Look at Ephesians 3. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Somebody say Father. In verse 15, of whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. So we are a part of a family here at Emmanuel. But we are part of the bigger family of God. Now look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 17. We're talking about approaching prayer from a position of inheritance. Romans 8, 16 says, For the Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Now look at verse 17. And since we are His children. Now we're approaching prayer from the standpoint of inheritance. Jesus said, Our Father. Notice this here. In fact, together we are heirs. We are children. We are with Christ. We are heirs of God's glory. How many of you would say Jesus is an heir of God's glory? How many of you would say Joseph is an heir of God's glory? It would be good to say yes. That's what the Bible says. Since we're His children, we've been born again, we've given our lives to Christ, we are His heirs. We're approaching prayer, our Father, from a standpoint of inheritance. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But to share in His glory, you must also share in His sufferings. How many of you have that on your board at home and you quote that every day? Thank you, Lord, I share in your sufferings today. Nobody, nobody puts that on there? What that says is you must endure. There's going to be persecution. You must endure the, the things to follow Christ. So I want you to understand this as when it comes to an inheritance. And it's that we should never write this down. Write this down. We should never approach prayer. Are you ready? I hope this doesn't make you mad Please don't get religious on me. If it makes you mad, give, give me a chance to fix it, okay? We should never approach prayer from a place of unworthiness. We should never approach prayer from a place of unworthiness. Now, I'm going to give you an example here, and you may think I'm making fun, and I am. <laughs> so you're right. Growing up, I would go to my grandmother's church, and there's always this one man. I can remember him now. Nice old man. He was one of those old mans that kind of had one of those little turkey things, you know, that would kind of, when he would talk, get excited, it would kind of, he was a nice old man. But he would stand up and he would pray, and he's gone on with Jesus, so he can't get mad at me. 
His third cousin might if they hear the sermon. But, but he would stand up. And I remember this as a kid. He would go, Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, we beseech thee, O oh Lord, if you could find a moment in your time to bless us. We are but a worm in your sight. And I'm a worm. Not only am I a worm in your sight, but I'm a worm that was swallowed by a fish. Oh, dear God, I'm so unworthy. I'm nothing more than a crumb that has fallen off of your table. And not only am I a crumb that has fallen off your table, but I've fallen in the crack of the floor. Oh, God, if you could just spare a little of your mercy and a little of your grace. We're so unworthy, God. We're so we need. And, and I understand approaching God with humility. And I'm not, and I understand that. But it's like, dear me, you don't even deserve to live. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? And he would always approach prayer from a place of unworthiness. And I went a long way for that example because I'm going to teach you a tremendous spiritual truth. And having you know, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down a little bit easier. Now, you, I've heard people say, well, who are you? You can't demand God to do something in prayer. And I'm not talking about demanding God to do something. I'm talking about I'm approaching prayer as a son who has an inheritance and God loves me and he cares for me. And who told me to pray? Who told me to ask? God. Now, I want to shock some of your religious minds today because Colossians chapter 1, verse 10 helps us. I want you to see this now. Colossians chapter 1. In verse 10, it says this. I'm going to read it as he catches up here. We also pray that you will be strengthened with his glorious power so that you will have the endurance and patience that you need. How many of you think that's a good prayer to pray? He says, I pray that you will have endurance and the patience that you need that you would be filled with joy. Now, let me, let me pause here for just a minute in Colossians chapter 1. What this is saying to us, ladies and gentlemen, is that as you're receiving the inheritance... And as you are receiving God's blessing, and as you're receiving the promise, you need to pray that God will give you endurance, He will give you patience, and that you will be filled with joy. And then verse 12, and you can write it down, look it up at home. Colossians 1.12 says, Always thanking the Father, because He has qualified you. Always thanking the Father, because He has qualified you to share in the inheritance that belongs to His people who live in the light. And it goes on to say, because He rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, and He transferred us in the kingdom of His dear Son. Colossians 1.12, do you have it? I guess we don't have it. But Colossians 1.12, I want you to, to see this. I'm thanking God because He enabled you, He qualified you to share in the inheritance that belongs to God's people. Say this with me if you can, and say it out loud. Say, I am qualified to share in the inheritance of God's people. It's no longer approaching God from, oh, I'm just a worm and I'm not worthy. And listen, before Jesus, I'm not worthy. I'm not talking about being worthy in myself. Before Christ and before what He did in my heart, I'm certainly unworthy. But because of Jesus, Susan, the Bible says, He qualified me to share in His inheritance. I am now not approaching prayer from a standpoint of I'm just unworthy. I'm approaching a prayer from a standpoint of it is my inheritance in the saints. Because God rescued me from the kingdom of darkness and He put me in the kingdom of His dear Son. And so not only is prayer about our approach, our Father, but it is, number two, about talking to our Father. We're not just praying to some deity who is far away. We're not just praying to some cosmic God in some cosmic universe that doesn't hear us. God is seen and revealed in the New Testament as our Father. This was not seen in the Old Testament. 
In the Old Testament, they, they knew God as Yahweh, and they knew God as, as the Father of all creation. But the Old Testament did not reveal a personal way that we could, could have a personal relationship with our Father. Now, I love this. We read the, the Lord's Prayer, and it says, Our Father. It's plural. Did you notice that prayer? Give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us, because we're born into a family. Our Father. This concept to the early Jewish believers would have been so radical because they had such a reverence and respect for God they wouldn't even utter His name. And We need a little bit more back of that in our society today, frankly. But they had no concept of a personal relationship with Yahweh. And Jesus is breaking down 4,000 years of God just being the deity in the sky. And he's breaking down 4,000 years and saying, now he is your father. You can actually talk to him. You can have a relationship with your father. And it is not just me, mine, and I, but it is our. It is collective. It is plural. Now look at Luke 11. Thank God the computer's behaving, amen. How did we ever preach before PowerPoint? <laughs> it's a funny story, true story. I don't know if Sarah's here today, but she has some family up in Kentucky, kind of rural Kentucky, and Rita and George. And Rita was saying one day, she said, you need to go up there and preach, you know, up in Kentucky. And Sarah's so sweet, she's a little bit younger, quite a bit younger. She said, well, he can't go up there and preach. They don't have PowerPoint. <laughs> uh, well, that's true, yeah. Cancel that appointment. <laughs> Look at this here. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, will you give them a snake? Of course not. Look at verse 12. Or if they ask for an egg, would you give them a scorpion? Of course not. Look at verse 13. Since you are sinful people and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Would you say that with me? How much more? You know how to take care of your own kids. How much more will your heavenly Father, there it is, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? This reminds me of Matthew 18 and 19, talking about approaching our Father. I tell you this, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything, that you ask my Father. And as we see from Matthew 6, that we're going to see in just a minute, our Father in heaven will do it for you. So I believe this, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I believe it, it tells us three things. Number one, how we approach prayer. Not from a position of unworthiness, but from a position of inheritance. Number two, it tells us that we're talking to our Father and He loves us. And then number three, it tells us that we should begin with thanksgiving and praise and worship. Number three, we approach prayer and we begin by praying with worship. Now, I want you to hang on with me for just a minute because I'm going to take this in a way that you've probably never seen before. How many of you have heard this model and you've been taught that when you start your prayers, you're supposed to start with worship and praise and thanksgiving? And I'm teaching my kids that now, and I have to kind of adjust it a little bit because it, even, even with me, it's very easy. Oh, Lord, thank you for this day. We love you. And then, boom, right into my deal. And I'm trying to even train my kids. If you ever hear my kids pray, they'll say, Lord, we just thank you for this day. And it can be the worst day in the world, but they're just trained. Lord, we thank you for this day. They're trained to start out with praise and worship and thanksgiving. But even then, it can become a, a, just a routine and an empty thing. And I'm going to show you something here that maybe you've never seen before. How many of you have children who are older and grown? Would you raise your hand? How many of you wish your children were older and grown? And that's another sermon for another day. 
But if, if, if every time your child comes over, if they knock on the door and you open the door and they say, hey, my car's out of gas. Can I have 20 bucks? Well, okay, okay. And then knock on the door again. You open the door. Hey, my KUB bill's a little bit late. Can I have $100? And then knock on the door. Hey, I don't have a lot of... Uh, open the door. Hey, I don't have a lot of food. Could you take me down to the food city and give me some... You know, once or twice... But after like six times, it's going to be like, do you really, did you really come to see me or did you just come for my money? If the first thing you at least have the courtesy to say, hello, how are you? And then ask me for my money. I mean, after a while, we'd be like, these turkeys don't care about me. They just want my money. That's the same way we do with our Father in heaven. We start our prayers with all the problems. Here's the revelation. God knows your problems. He knows your problems. What God really wants is not for you to just tell Him your problems. Please tell your problems to the Lord. But God really wants time with you. Because in His presence, 30 seconds in His presence will give you the answer for the problem that you've been dealing with. And He's saying, if you just quit talking so much... I understand you're having a bad day. I understand your coworker was mean to you. I understand your children are misbehaving. If you would shut up for just a minute, I'll tell you how to fix it. How many glad I'm not God? <laughs> shut down and sit up and I'll sit down and I'll give you the answer, praise God. But the Lord says, just just I, what I want is 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 you. And so what we do is we we back our dump truck up of complaints. Beep. 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 And we just unload on the Lord. It's like here you go. And we never say, hey, how are you today? How's it going? It's good to see you. So that's, that's why I believe Jesus is saying to start prayer with praise and worship. I will be honest with you and tell you that I have started prayer sessions with genuine praise and genuine worship and never even made it to my needs. Never even made it to back my dump truck up of all the stuff that's wrong in my life and all my needs, which are plenty there. But I've started with just a pure heart. And, and next thing I know, I've had 30 minutes to pray, and I've spent the whole 30 minutes worshiping and loving on Jesus. And I'll walk away with way more on the inside than if I'd have spent that 30 minutes just throwing my problems on the Lord. Yeah, let's give God thanks. Now, tell the Lord your problems, but, but it's, it's, it's about a relationship. And then I want, to take you, I want to take you down another little road that you may not have seen. It said, hallowed be your name. You heard about the kindergartner. And they said, uh, who knows the name of God? And he said, his name is Howard. And he said, what do you name is Howard? He said, well, the Bible says, Howard, be thy name. And <laughs> that was good. That was good. Thank you. Maybe we should take up another offering. So hallowed comes from the, the Greek word and the Hebrew word, which means, now catch this, this is so important. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We don't use that term hallowed or hallowed, however you want to say it. It's kind of like blessed and blessed, whichever way you want to say it. Hallowed be thy name. It comes from the word that means separate from the profane. Separate from the profane. And in, in the original, earliest, purest meaning of the word, it means pure. The absolute simplest meaning is, is, is when we say holy, it means separated from the profane. The word holy means separated, by the way. You know, you're God's holy people. Doesn't mean you've never sinned. It means you're separated from the world. You're separated from darkness and you're a son and daughter of light. So it's, it's separate from the evil, separate from the profane. In the simplest, purest form, it means purity. Free from guilt, free from evil. Wow. Somebody say free from evil. Free from evil. 
So our Father, who's given us an inheritance, I'm now a son and, and, a, and, a, and you are a daughter of the, of the Most High, sanctify and separate your name. Your name is totally separate from evil. Your name is totally separate from the profane. Look with me at Leviticus 22. This helps us all the way back at the very beginning. God is saying, I want to separate you from the evil that is going on in the world. The evil and trials and tribulation in your life are not coming from our good Father. There is another Father that they're coming from that I'm going to show you. Look at Leviticus 22 in verse 32. Leviticus 22 and 32 declares this. It says, You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be sanctified. That's the same word as hallowed. I will be hallowed. You shall not profane my holy name. Don't associate me with evil. But I will be sanctified, hallowed, set apart among the sons of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who sets you apart. So God wants us to approach Him as the Father who gives and loves and not as the Father who brings evil into our life. There are two fathers in the Bible. Let me show them to you in a passage that you're familiar with. John chapter 8. So we have God, our Heavenly Father. And then there is another father in the scriptures that we must also realize that is at work in the world today. John 8, 38. I'm telling you that what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the vice of your father. Jesus says, I'm telling you what I saw and heard from my father, but you are following the advice of your father. In verse 39, they get a little snippy here and they get a little put back he says our father is abraham and i could see him doing a little dance father abraham that's where that song was written right there many of you didn't know that and if you don't know what it is it means you didn't grow up in sunday school but ask pastor michael and he can fill you in our father's abraham they declared no jesus replied can you imagine that they're saying we have the father abraham jesus says no for if you were really the children of abraham you would follow his example Look at verse 40. The scriptures declare, Instead, you're trying to kill me. Abraham's not going to do that. I tell you the truth. Abraham would have never have done such a thing. You're trying to kill me. I'm from God. You're not of Abraham. Look at verse 41. I love that Jesus was just, he, he was no nonsense. He didn't mess around. He said, No, you're imitating your real father. And they replied, We are not illegitimate children. God Himself is our... I could see the little turkey thing jingling as they're talking. God Himself is our true Father. Now look here in verse 42. Notice this here. Can you see it? Y'all see it? Look here in verse 42. Do we have 42? Come on, computer. Help us out. I'll read it. I've got it. It says, Jesus told them if... There it is. All right. Thank you. Jesus told them, If God were your Father, you would love me. Because I come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but of the one who sent me. Look at verse 43. Notice this here. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. Here we go, verse 44. This is what I want you to see. Ready? You are the children of your father, the devil. Whoa. Now, how did Jesus teach the disciples to pray? Our father. These people were of the father, the devil. How many of I went around... You are of the father, you're devil. That's not very good for church growth now. <laughs> Sometimes I want to say that. You are of your father, the devil. <laughs> Get thee behind me, Satan. I'm just speaking the Bible here. Look at this. You're of your father, the devil. You love to do evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. 
something the Lord warned me about during this message is, is Satan is not the little dude on the cartoons with a pitchfork. He's a murderer. The only reason you are not dead is because of the grace of God. If Satan had his way, you would be dead. He would kill you even as a believer so you don't impact others and, and lead others to belief. We, and I'm not, I, don't, I don't want you, anybody in here to be afraid of the devil. I'm not afraid of the devil at all. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. And I believe that. You cannot take me out of that or talk me out of that. I'm not trying to tell you to be afraid of the devil. But we do need to respect the fact that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we got a lot of people being devoured. And why did they die so young? What happened? Satan is a murderer. The only thing he wants to do is lie and kill. That's his motive. He wants to kill you. We are in a battle. We're in a war. It says, Satan was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, look at the, the rest of this passage. It's consistent with his character. Somebody say his character. Notice this here, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. So let me tie this in here. Ready? We, we have two fathers that we're seeing in Scripture. Jesus says, when you pray, you pray our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. You are totally separate from evil. There is no evil in you. There's not even a trace of evil in you. James chapter 1 verse 17 says that there's not even... A shifting shadow. God never changes. God is 100% pure, 100% good. There's not even a shred of evil in God. But there's not even a shred of good in the devil. There's not a shred of truth in the devil. There's not an ounce of a lie in our Father God. That's why when we approach prayer, we're praying to the God who is 100% holy, 100% just, 100% good, totally separate from the profane. That's my Father in heaven. Not the father of the, of the devil. So how does this fit into worship? Because when we settle this now, this is how this fits into hallowed be thy name. When we settle this now, good God, bad devil, there's not even a shred of evil in God, there's not a shred of good in the devil, it helps and affects how we approach prayer. Look at Psalm 119 and verse 68. It helps us approach prayer from an inheritance standpoint, not an unworthiness standpoint. Psalm 119.68, you are good. Let's read this together. Ready? Let's read it out loud. You are good and you do only good. Teach me your decrees. Romans 8.28, you could quote it. Very important passage when we're going through trials and tribulations and tests. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So let me close this today by saying you need to talk to your Father, our Heavenly Father, the Good Father. And you have a, an opportunity to do that. If you read John 13, 14, and 15, Jesus spent that time, that's at the Last Supper. It's the Last Supper with His disciples. He spent that time over and over and again, your Father, our Father, our Father, when you pray, ask my Father. It looks like John 14, 12. John 14, 12, he said, it says at the Last Supper, he said, I'll tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I've done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. He's putting the Father concept over the disciples. You can ask anything in my name, verse 13, and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask anything in my name and I will do it. Now let me just close with this point here. Our Father in heaven 
Hallowed be thy name is much, much, much deeper than just me and Susan. When I'm praying with Joseph and we're agreeing and we say, Our Father in heaven, our Father is much deeper than just me and Joseph. Our Father is much deeper than just those of us in this room. Look at John 20 and verse 17. I'm going to show you something you may have never seen. John 20 and verse 17 declares this. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Mary comes up to him and he says, Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I have not yet ascended to, say it, the Father. But go and find my brothers. Before this, they were disciples. Before this, they were followers of Christ. Now Jesus, who Hebrews chapter 2 spends the whole chapter developing now how he is our elder brother. Jesus didn't say, go tell my followers. He said, go and find my brothers and tell them. Remember at the Last Supper, John 13, 14, and 15, the whole emphasis is on the Father that they had no concept of? Notice this here. Go tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. Go tell them I'm ascending to my God and to your God. Something happened. Something changed. We're no longer just followers of Yahweh. We're brothers and sisters. Jesus is our elder brother. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10 kind of solidifies this a little bit. And it says this, God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children, many sons and daughters into glory. And it was only right that He should make Jesus, through His suffering, the perfect leader who was fit to bring them in to their salvation. Verse 11. Here we go. I want you to see this. So now Jesus... And the ones He makes holy, now Jesus, and the ones He makes hallowed, now Jesus, same word, now Jesus and the ones He makes separate from the profane, separated from the evil one, now Jesus and the ones whom He has made holy, say it with me, are you ready? Say it together, ready? They have the same Father. That is why Jesus is no longer ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So when I approach God, I pray, Our Father. Oh, by the way, Lord, when I say Our Father, I'm talking about Jesus is my big brother. And by the way, Our Father, it's not just me and Joseph. It's me, Joseph, and Jesus. This is Our Father. Oh, yeah, and by the way, Our Father, Jesus died and gave His life so I could have this conversation with you as Father. So I'm not approaching God on just us or me or the power in this room. It's our, Jesus said, our Father. It's me and Jesus going to our Father together. He's the high priest forever making intercession on my behalf. It's now our Father. And Jesus is included in that hour. I heard a story of a wealthy man who owned a construction company. And his son was out of high school and wanted to work. And his dad said, you can work this summer. And so they were in a construction trailer, and they had a brand new foreman on the job. And the foreman didn't know everybody in the room, certainly didn't know this man there was the son. And all of a sudden, the foreman said, well, there comes, here comes Mr. Big, Mr. Big Shot. And the, the son said, well, who's, who's that? Who's Mr. Big Shot? He said, that is so, so, and so, you know, the owner of the company. You know, he, he thinks he owns his company. He thinks he runs his company, but I really run this company. I'm the foreman. I really run the company. And the son just sat there and kind of looked around. 
And the dad opened the door, who owns the company, and he said, Hey, everybody, good morning. Oh, hey, son, how are you? You want to go to lunch, son? And the son looked over at the foreman and said, Yeah, dad, I'd love to go to work with you. So the dad shut the door, and as the son is leaving, he turned to the foreman, and he said, You may think you're in charge, but when you look around, look around here, he said, Everything that you see, my dad owns, and don't you ever forget it. Ladies and gentlemen, there may be times in our life when Satan thinks he's in charge, my word to him is, you just look around, everything that you see my Father owns, and don't you forget it. Come on, let's give God praise. Let's give God thanks. Our Father in heaven. Close your eyes with me this morning, and Candy's going to come. We're going to sing a song. We're going to minister to you. And then Pastor Michael's going to come and lead us in a time of, of prayer. We want to pray over you. And we're going to approach God from a standpoint of inheritance, not from a standpoint of unworthiness. So let's worship with this song together. Just let these words really touch your heart. And how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to me. Wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turned his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon that cross. shoulders ashamed I hear my mocking voice through call among the scoffers it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished his dying breath has brought me life I know
this time. I just believe that there would be an invitation this morning for prayer. And I believe that the, the scope of salvation that the Lord wants to offer is not limited to the redemption of our souls, but also the deliverance uh, that maybe we need to experience or the healing in our bodies as well. And so this morning, I'm going to ask Joseph, Meshach, if there's, Susan, would you even join us for, for praying for folks this morning? If there's anyone that you're saying, Lord, I, I, I've got a need. It may be physical, it may be spiritual, it may be mental, but the Lord wants to meet you where you are. And we want to agree with you as our father, as brothers and sisters to agree with you. You may stand in the gap this morning for someone who is a prodigal away from the Lord or someone who needs uh, something that, that you want to stand in their place today. And so come, come right now. We want to give that invitation to agree with you in prayer and to see the Lord minister to us. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His own Anyone else, come on down. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns His face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one. Bring many sons to glory. I will not boast in this morning have been approaching prayer from a standpoint of unworthiness, even maybe unconsciously. And this morning you want to come down for prayer and let us pray that you will now, from now on, approach prayer from a position of inheritance. Would you come down? This prayer time is open for you. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an this I know with all my heart His wounds have paid my ransom Behold the man upon that cross The Father turns His face away As wounds which mar the chosen one Bring many sons to deep the Father's love for us how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure you're a good good father it's who you are it's who who you are and I'm loved by you it's who I am it's who I am it's who I am you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are would y'all stand with us this morning it's who you are and I'm loved by you 
sing from your heart. It's who I am. It's who I am. Receive the Father's love. It's who I am. You're a good, good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You are perfect in all of your ways. Perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. You are perfect in all of your ways. Perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. You're a good father. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm in love by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are, I'm in love by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. You are perfect in all of your ways, perfect in all of your This morning, if you're here and we're talking about the love of a father and you had a really bad example of a loving father, I just want to encourage you to let the Lord reveal his goodness to you and don't put in the love of our heavenly father and the love of your earthly father. If it wasn't godly, just let that go. There's no hurt like the hurt of a father. So just let that go this morning. If you can somehow just release that. And we'd be happy to pray with you if we need to because our Heavenly Father is perfect in every way and He, he will heal those wounds. And the Lord would say to you, I believe that he, he grieves for those wounds and they were not of Him. And the Lord would say that, that when it hurts you, I feel that it hurts the Lord. And Scripture talks about He knows our infirmities. And the Lord would just remind you that He will never let you down and He has never let you down. So you can trust. I just sense the Lord saying, you can trust me. I'm a good father. You can trust me. You are perfect in all of your ways. Perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. Just let that hurt go. Let that pain go. You are perfect in all of your ways. Perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. 
a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Father, we thank you that um, we can exchange our sadness for gladness today, that you are in the business of restoring all things and bringing new life. We thank you that we come to a father that is good, and we come as children, sons and daughters today. We thank you for our identity in you. Jesus, we are grateful for the way you have made, for what you have purchased, that there is peace between us and our Father in heaven. Thank you, God. Bless your people as we go today. May your face shine upon us and your peace be with us. In your name, amen.